Jack Fitzpatrick joins me. Hello, Jack. How are you? Very well, thanks, Kev. How are you going? Good. Going to take you back uh, a, a tumultuous day in your life. <laughs> it uh, was at the Adelaide Oval. It was the 4th of September. Sounds like a Temptation song. It was the 4th of September. The 4th of September 2011, uh, when uh, you made your debut for Melbourne against Port Adelaide. What are, yeah. you, what are your memories of the actual day? Because you're away from, away from home base makes it different for a start. I actually have to say my memories of the overall event itself, the lead up to it, the game itself are reasonably strong. Actually, the day itself I probably remember more than the game. Um, The game sort of flashes by pretty quickly. But the day itself, um, I remember we were obviously in Adelaide. Um, I got told earlier in the week that I'd been playing. Um, I'd sort of been emergency a couple of weeks prior to that. Um, And then on the back of kicking four goals in the VFL, um, playing with Fev at the time. That was the year that he was playing yeah. with Casey. So um, that was that was good fun to learn off him. And then, you know, probably the fact that I'd kicked four along with the fact that, you know, Melbourne weren't going that well and it was the last game of the year. So it was a bit of a dead rubber, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Port Adelaide at that time was struggling a lot too. Um, so I guess my chances were pretty good to at least look at this young kid, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I got the phone call from Todd Viney, who was the coach. So, um he gave me my first game as coach and also uh, delisted me as <laughs> as the list manager later on. So that was sort of came full circle pretty quickly. But um, no, look, it was it was just a great week. And I mean, playing at Adelaide Oval, this is before the redevelopment. So, you know, the hill and it was just an old school. It was a bit of a yeah. carnival type atmosphere. Yeah, a bit of a, um, almost a country footy feel. It really was. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a massive crowd. It was a Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah, so nearly 30,000. They get thirty thousand there. Yeah, twenty nine thousand three hundred and forty. They tell there you me. Go. Well, it's I would I didn't count them all. So I, <laughs> and I, I want their names and addresses. Thanks, yeah. Jack, if you can. Well, I can but, tell you, my mum and dad were there. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the lead up. Now we see we see videos and we see all sorts of things happen. What was what was the lead up for you in the week leading up to it? In terms of you said you knew early in the week, but um, did did they make a fuss? Did you get told pulled into the coach's room and all that sort of stuff? Or I was actually at the club quite late, um, living in Werribee with my parents at the time still, and and the club being at Amy Park. So I basically had a bit of a theory that if I wasn't out of the club by four o'clock, I might as well hang around and do some extra stuff because the traffic's crap anyway. <laughs> so I was actually at the club reasonably late. At a guess, I'd say six o'clock, and I got a phone call from Todd and. Um, he said, oh, how are you going? Whereabouts here? I said, funnily enough, I'm actually still at the club. So I'm in the building. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so he actually just told me to come to his office. They must have finished their match committee meeting. So I'm assuming this was a Tuesday or Wednesday night. I can't actually remember. Um, but yeah, he told me. So I remember I was pretty pumped. Um, and then I went home that night and sort of just casually dropped it to mum and dad over dinner. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I think I said something. You know, We were just sitting there eating dinner. I said, oh, by the way, you got to book tickets this week to... <laughs> Go to Adelaide. So that was it was good fun. I did have a carload of friends travel over from Melbourne to they made the road trip over yep. to South Australia. So I think there were four or five of them and I got to see them before the game and um yeah, that was that was nice to, you know, just see them for ten minutes and have a bit of normality, I suppose. Because it's a hell of a journey. We should we should fill in the gaps for the for the journey. Now you you uh, played your junior footy down in Windenvale. Yeah. Uh on the Jets list. Yeah. Right. Um now when did you get crook first? So I got glandular fever in grade prep. Yeah. Um, and then from that developed chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah. 
Um, and, and as a result, uh, it probably had its biggest impact on my life um, probably early teenage years, yep. doing a lot of growing. Uh, like I was always pretty tall, but from about year seven to year nine, just grew a lot and went from being one of the tallest in the grade to head and shoulders yep. above everyone. And basically the way I would determine it was that every change of season almost, um, I would get what we called a crash and it was almost like a relapse of the glandular fever. Um, and, and literally the name chronic fatigue just sums up exactly what I had so well um, to the point where you know I, I couldn't get up to go to the toilet. My parents would have to pick me up and take me there because I just didn't have the energy to physically do it. So um, yeah, probably from about the age of seven to probably 16, 17 was you know, about a 10-year period was when I really struggled with it. And I'm really fortunate that I had a lot of support, firstly from the Western Jets, mm. um, that you know, going through that program and it's such a, it's an elite standard. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to get away with not being able to train as much as the other kids. And I was still fortunate enough to make Vic Metro and, you know, sort of, you know, everyone was so supportive. And then when I made the AIS at the end of year 10, um, I was 16 years old and the support they gave me and we really put a program in place to, um, you know, I'll never forget Alan McConnell, who's now at GWS, um, James Veal was a fitness guy. And uh, the, the mad Kiwi, Hamish, he was the doctor. Um, and quite literally, I, my pre-season going into my bottom age TAC Cup year um, I was a 20-minute walk a day. And that was it. That was all you could do. That was it. Um, and I, th- I think that was up until Christmas. And then it might have gone up to 25 minutes a day. And then not long before that, we incorporated, the, I would do the warm-up with the team three nights a week at training and, and then walk for 15 minutes and just slowly build it up. So, so how did you get through games with that with that fitness base? Oh, well, many of my coaches would say the same way, just by not running <laughs> was probably the easiest. I, I was probably a bit fortunate that, you know, footy back then um, was – it's still modern day, obviously, into yeah. the 2000s, but the amount of running that the Fords would do, if you played full Ford, your you majority stayed inside the 50. Yep. Um, and, and I could get away with that. You I, could I manage guess. it. Yeah. yeah. And I like to think that, to be honest, I will say that I think I read the game pretty well and saw the game pretty yep. well, and that was probably a strength of mine. And I think that was probably out of necessity, even the fact that as a junior growing up playing under 12s or under 14s at Wyndham Vale, I would sort of have to be selective about how hard I would work during games. I mean, try telling a 13-year-old kid that you know he can't run as hard or as far or whatever as yeah. everyone else in a game, and it's pretty hard to do, but you just teach yourself because otherwise, if I was overexerting myself, I'd end up in bed for two weeks, and that yeah. was my reality. So um, I think I just sort of learned to deal with it, and yeah. um, I guess... You know, I was probably really tall and really fast, so a lot of attributes that were big ticks for recruiters, etc. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I I was also playing pretty good footy. When did it kick in and become? Did it become a problem when you first got on the AFL list? Thanks to this program that we got put on by the AIS, the the doctor at the AIS said to me, um, and I actually remember just about the last crash I ever had was on one of the AIS camps. It was the first week of December and I actually was feeling really good, really fit and then just got a bit of a cold the night before and then went up there and all these kids. So, you know, you've got, uh, geez, who was in there? Jack Watts was in my program. Tom Scully was in my program. The yeah. list goes on. Michael Hurley, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, Steel Sidebottom and some mm. really good players. And they're all out doing the training of these football um this football camp and I literally didn't leave my dormitory at the AIS. Like I, I just couldn't physically do anything. So um, it was almost beneficial in a way that I think people could see sort of the impact it actually could have on me when yeah. um, 
I guess if you've got an under-16 kid coming to you as a coach and he says, look, I actually can't train as much as the other kids, until you sort of see it in action, it might actually be a little bit... You know, oh, yeah, how, he's trying to try one on me. Yeah. Type, how, type thing. How yeah. real is this? Yep. Um, but from that, that was where we really put this plan in place and just took it back to those 20-minute walks a day. And the doctor's theory behind this, and I'm so thankful to him, I've no doubt that without him I probably would never have got drafted, mm. was the fact that we can't keep having you have these crashes every quarter or every change of season because it's just not practical. I don't think we can ever cure you from having chronic fatigue, but what we can do, and the analogy he used was like a, a power bar in a video game. Mm. If you've got X amount of energy to spend per week, and if you go over this amount of energy, you're going to have your crash. Eventually what we can do, we'll never get rid of this power bar, but we can increase it so that no matter how much energy you're expending per week, it actually won't go over your limit, if yep. that makes sense. Yep. So that was why we went back to 20-minute walks. And he said, our first goal is to get you to not have a crash. That's number one, by not overexerting yourself. But at the same time, we will be getting you fitter. So this was a program that they put in place to me to get drafted at the end of 2009, 10 yep. years ago now. Yeah. Um, and this was probably put in place at the end of 2017. So it was a really long-range program. Did you ever consider in any of that time and did your parents ever talk to you or all your doctors or whatever and said, Jack, give it away, mate? My parents tried to get me to take a year off football at one point um, and they just thought he just needs a break. Yep. But um, the pediatrician that I was seeing at the time, and this – I. I I'm probably 14 at this time, give or mm. take. The pediatrician at this time said it, it could be the worst thing you ever do because if he gets to play football every weekend and he might not be training or he plays every second weekend, whatever it is, in his mind, he's winning at the moment. If you take football away from him, something he loves, and he's no longer allowed to be normal, for want of a better word, yeah, yeah. mentally what that could do in terms of all of a sudden this is beating him, it could just completely completely changed things around. Did, so, did you feel that? Look, I probably never looked at it as forensically as that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I was just a 14-year-old kid who wanted to play footy. If I had my way, I was training three or four times a week and playing on a weekend. Yeah. But I soon learned pretty quickly that um, I could train once a week at max and play on the weekend. And I was probably helped by the fact that even doing that at local footy, I was the best player in the team. So it yeah. didn't really matter. They made... I, remember, I remember being at the uh, presentation of the under-16s uh, at Winterville when you won it. Yeah. Um, when you won the competition one. Yeah. The, you, you were near seven foot and the bloke you tied with was two foot five. Exactly. That Dallas Redfern. Certainly, certainly yeah. helped. Only yeah. played nine games that year. Actually, yeah, I know. And still won the comp BNF. Um, just to give myself a little pat on the back there. Um, but yeah, look, I was certainly lucky that, uh, I mean, athletically, I was very gifted. I was also a talented junior athlete, you yep. know, state medals in sprint hurdling. Actually used to run against Mark Blitzabs as a state hurdler oh, okay. when we were about 10 years old. There you go. Um, until he sort of focused on his more distance related stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was basically my life. I played footy during winter and during the summer I did athletics. And athletics worked for me because you're doing five events that take a total of 10 minutes of running. So you're sprinting 100 metres for 10, 15 seconds, 200 metres for 30 seconds. That's yeah. sort of it. Um, it just worked for me. It kept my speed up. Um, it kept me involved in sports. So mentally, I was always playing something, doing something around people. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, you look at um, so many things these days with, with kids not playing enough sport as it is. I mean, A, there's the health factor of it as a general rule, um, you know, rather than going outside and whether doing whatever kids used to do, 
Now they're sitting inside and sitting down playing PlayStation or whatever, but also the actual aspect of having so many people around you and that real team camaraderie. I mean, I've got some lifelong friends that I played junior footy with at Windenvale. I've been groomsman in a wedding for, for one person. You know, I still keep in contact with my athletics friends. Um, a couple of those girls have just got married or had children and, and whatever else. And, you know, I haven't seen them regularly since I was about 15 years old, but you're still just keeping in contact with them. And it's just such a great friendship network. And again, you know how it is. You could be at at home with the flu or with the cold or whatever, and you're feeling pretty ordinary. But all of a sudden, a friend comes around, and even if you're just sitting there watching TV, you just lift 10%. So being around people, no doubt, I think certainly helped me as well. Back to that first game, you actually you actually uh, did pretty well. You almost kicked the goal in the what the second minute of the game, I think, from memory. There's a funny story behind that too. Uh-huh. Um, so my best friend growing up, Nick, uh, his brother had noticed that I had been emergency a couple of weeks in a row, and he saw that I kicked four goals for Casey on the weekend, and he had twenty dollars on me to kick the first goal, and I had no idea about this. Mm. $20 when he kicked the first goal at some ridiculous odds of, say, 400 to 1 or something. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I get named in the team and then get named on the ground. And I think by the start of the game, I'd come in at $21 or something like that. And the ball comes to me. And still, this is all unbeknownst to me. I only find this out later. But um, I got the ball on the 50 line and, and had a sort of – someone was coming to um, – smother me so I had to sort of kick it along the ground so the ball's bouncing 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 and it probably missed by a meter or so and apparently you know for a 20 year old kid or whatever he was at the time it, he had an enormous collect on this speculative bet um, so he tried to invoice me for it afterwards uh, but to no avail you did kick a goal you kicked a goal actually in the last quarter that put uh, the put Melbourne in front I did. It was one of the cheapest goals of all time. Um, Luke Tapscott, I got drafted with him. I was uh, just on Max Gorn's Bucks with him recently. He's a great guy, Tappy. And uh, he smothered the ball. Um, I can't remember who it was off. Um, and quite literally, my man ran to him because he picked the ball up and I stood in the goal square and, and did nothing. So handball over the top comes to me and all I had to do was turn around and kick it. So couldn't miss. Yep. Couldn't miss. Yep. Uh, statistically, it was a pretty reasonable game for you in, uh, in in terms of what you finished up with. At a guess, I'd say probably ten-ish disposals. Yeah, I think it was about two. It was more than that. It was seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, Jeez, I've so. done well. Yeah, so you did all right. Oh. Did run, kicked a goal. You could have got a brown loaf. But you didn't. But you didn't. Uh, they didn't win. No, we didn't. We uh, look. As I said, it was a Sunday afternoon game. It was Melbourne versus Port Adelaide at the time. I, I don't know if anyone would have been watching on TV. Honestly, it was like. Both teams at the time were really struggling. Yep. Um, so to be honest, not many people would remember the game itself, um, certainly not the result. But, well, as uh, I mentioned, you, you kicked that goal, came out after the three-quarter time break, kicked three goals, yep. uh, hit the front, but then they kicked the last three or four and that was the end of it. Unfortunately, they did. So it would have been nice to get a win. I played 22 games for Melbourne and only won two of them. So um, yeah, I had to wait a little <sighs> That's while. That's isn't it? That's uh, doing it I had hard. to wait a little while, but um, that was – I mean, you know, it's – AFL footy, it's, it's a great thing to be a part of and I'd certainly love to be playing now if I still could be. The um, the most memorable moment, obviously, is that goal Yes, that everyone talks about. Yep. yep. First game for the Hawks. 28th of August, was it? Yeah, something like that. I've probably got... I've, Probably put it up on Instagram every year since. Um, <laughs> reminded everyone about it every day. Yep. Um, nearly bought a TV just to play it on loop at one point. Um, <laughs> it comes up a lot and I'm more than happy to you talk about it. And and if I'd done it, I would do exactly the same thing, exactly but probably right. worse. Every player that says, oh, I haven't watched my highlight, they're yeah, kidding bull. themselves. That's absolute <laughs> yeah. garbage. Um, yeah. And I, I was a mad Hawthorne supporter growing up. Yep. Um, and it was funny in 2016 that, 
Hawthorne won an absurd number of games by less than a goal. Absurd number of games. And ironically, it was um, Isaac who missed after the siren in the first final. It was the first time he lost a close game. But just being back at Hawthorne, it was my first year there, um, and I didn't play a lot of footy. I had a knee injury, then I had a long time out with a concussion. Um, A lot of those times, I was just really excited. I remember Cyril kicked a late goal against Sydney. I remember Poppy kicked a late goal against Adelaide. And I was just so excited because the Hawthorne fan in me, the five-year-old Jack, was so Mm. pumped and happy about it. And I still remember that day going home to watch this highlight on TV. I was like, I want to see how good this looks. But watching sort of the last five minutes, it was a close game. We needed to win to make top four, all these kinds of things. I was actually watching the replay, like how good's this as a Hawthorne supporter? And then... Oh wait, that's that's actually me who's doing it. Like, it almost didn't trigger for a little while. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a it was a great day. Um, you know, it was only my third ever win of an AFL game, yeah. but getting to play with you know Hodgie and Sam Mitchell and Sean Burgoyne and Josh Gibson, the list goes on. Yeah, um, guys that I literally have photos on my phone still from when I was about fifteen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, I think probably the the most ironic thing about that I just spoke about my first. My first involvement in an AFL game being the point for Melbourne. I think the thing that sums up my career pretty well was that my first kick for Hawthorne was also a point. <laughs> so my first possession for the two clubs that I played for wasn't behind. Yeah, yeah, so enough. That's yeah. a great summation of my career, I yeah. reckon, Kev. Um, you, you did. I mean, you, you overcame the, the chronic, well, didn't overcome it. You learned to deal with the, the chronic fatigue part of it. When did the diabetes kick in? Was that at, at Melbourne? Yeah, my third year of AFL. Yep. Um, so. Yeah, it was about halfway through the year, two weeks before I turned 21. How did that impact and how did, how did you find out and how did it impact? The, the finding out process was, I know we haven't got a, a great deal of time, so I won't go into um, the absolute specifics, but I went from playing a game of VFL on the Saturday to being in hospital on the Wednesday morning. It just happened like that. Um, this, this stereotypical signs and symptoms of diabetes, excessive thirst, um, excessive urination, weight loss, um, between the Wednesday, ending the game on the Saturday night and being in hospital on the Wednesday, I'd lost six kilos. Jeez. Um, I was, without exaggerating, I would have been drinking a 600 mil bottle of water an hour, going to the toilet at least once an hour. Um, I actually had a university exam on the Monday afternoon. And um, I'm convinced that by the end, they thought I was cheating because I just kept going to the toilet so much. Oh, God. Um, and only got a high distinction, so that's all right. Um, <laughs> but, Didn't uh, cheat enough. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I did it very well. Um but, but I didn't – we just spoke about my chronic fatigue earlier. Yep. Obviously, throughout my time as a kid, I'd been quite sick. Yep. You know, periods where I hadn't been able to get out of bed for two weeks and, and was really ordinary. Um, so at the age of 20, like I was unwell at this time, but I didn't think I was that sick. And the one message that I take out of it, if I wasn't playing football where I had the club doctor there at work, I don't think I would ever have gone to the doctor. I, I probably would have just sat at home and thought, I'll be right in a couple of days. Oh, and that's my number one takeaway, particularly as men. And we talk about men's mental health and, you know, I think it's a great thing what's happening around it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to not be okay. But in terms of if you're ever in doubt, there's no need for this to be a man. I'll be right. She'll be good. I'll, just give me a week. I'll be fine. If you're in doubt, get yourself checked out. Yeah. Because I have no idea where I would be now if... um. If you know, I don't know if I would have survived. I mean, if I had fallen into a diabetic coma whilst driving yeah. the car, for example, yeah. God knows what would have happened. So that's probably my one message of it. Um, and then from there, I, I talk a lot at Diabetes Functions now as an ambassador for Diabetes Victoria, Kevin. 
I consider myself fortunate that as an AFL player, you are active, you have a good routine, you're eating well, all of these things, you're fit and healthy. Well, that's exactly the best way to manage diabetes. You need to be fit and active, you need to be healthy, you need to have a really good routine around you. I was probably fortunate that, to be honest, when I got diagnosed, I didn't have to change much. I literally started giving myself an injection with main meals. Certainly, there are a lot of education things around it. I'm probably underplaying it a lot, but comparing myself to when I speak at kids' camps with diabetes and talk to kids or teenagers and the stuff that they have to go through, and I'm so fortunate that I never had to go through that. And these kids are so mature and and you talk to them and it's like talking to you know young adults because the things that they have to deal with, it might be as simple as going to a kid's party and knowing they can't have the Coke or the lollies or whatever yeah. it is. Um, it might be the fact that there's just something that's different about them whether they like it or not. Like being a teenager is hard enough and trying to fit in. The last, thing that, the last <laughs> thing that you want is something that by definition makes you different. Yep. And, and a lot of these kids find that, and I, I get that everyone asks you questions about diabetes. They see you pricking your finger. They see you giving you an injection. Everyone asks questions and 98% of it, just like life, I think, is people are just genuinely curious and they don't understand it. And when they don't understand it, they ask questions. Now, yep. sometimes these questions or the approach that people can do can be quite rude or seem naive, etc. But they're not meaning to go out and hurt your feelings. They're mm. just genuinely unsure about it and want to learn more. And that's what these kids, I think, sometimes don't quite understand, that kids will talk about it or ask questions about it or say things about it. It might be something simple like, oh, you got diabetes because you had too much sugar or whatever it might be. They don't understand that this isn't, a good thing to say or that it's incorrect either. Yeah. They just are going on what they've heard. So, yeah. um, you know, I consider myself fortunate that I never had to go through that. And apart from the chronic fatigue, I probably had a pretty normal type childhood really. Oh yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but, and I mean, I think the the biggest example I found from that was Luke Bruce at, at Hawthorne. Um, you know, I go there and, and having been traded there, he's my age, but you see him, he's been an All-Australian, he's won goal-kicking awards, he's won three premierships, he's done everything. Gun player, really good guy. And we went to a clinic one day um, in my first year at Hawthorne and we were talking to kids just about everything. And, and he said to the kids, something I've never seen before was that Jack has diabetes. And I remember the first game that I played with him, we're down at the, you know, the Fords get together as the coaches group at quarter time and we're all talking about it and he gets down on his hands and knees and tests his blood sugar. And for me, having never played with someone who's got that, oh. it was a very different experience. And for me thinking, well, this is Luke Bruce, who you have as a, you know, mid-20s, he's ticked it all, he knows it all, he's seen it all. It's just something that they don't understand, they haven't seen before. It's a completely different thing. It's not a normal thing, the diabetes. So... um yeah, I mean, I've been living with it now for about seven years, eight years, and haven't died so far yet, Kev, so all good, mate. <laughs> no, all good. Thanks for sharing your memories of your first game with us. Appreciate it. And, and your journey, because it's a, it's a hell of a journey. It's been uh, – but the funny thing about you is you're an incredibly positive human being, which is some of the things you've been through would be tough at times, but you are a very positive person. Just quickly, I know we're running out of time, but on that, I think it's just my, my outlook and my mindset. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the diabetes, for example – the reality is that 100 years ago, I'd be dead by now. They hadn't had in, it's, an, it's another two years before the 100-year anniversary of you know, insulin being administered yep. to human beings. Okay. So I'm literally lucky to be alive. I should have died by right seven or eight years ago. Yep. So every day that I've got is, I'm lucky to be here. I'm just yep. happy to be around and life's a great thing. Right? Yeah. There are so many great things a part of it and yeah, it bloody sucks that I've concussed and at the age of 26 can't play footy. Yep. It's awful. But I can't change it. And regardless whether I'm happy about it, sad about it, indifferent about it, 
the facts remain the same. Same yeah. as being diabetic. We didn't even get to the concussion. No, exactly sort of right. Part of it, but uh, that that's another thing that's obviously impacted uh, many areas of your life, not just uh, curtailing your sporting uh, achievements and your, yeah. your sporting life. Yeah, no, it has absolutely. Um, and look again, I probably play these things down because again, I like to choose to be positive. Yep. and. I'm so fortunate that I have personally never had any issues with mental health. So yeah. um, I actually liken it to concussion a little bit in that you probably can't truly understand it unless you've gone through it. I've no doubt that our knowledge and understanding of mental health, uh, sorry, of concussion is better now than it was 20 years ago, similar to mental health. There are still yeah. people who will sit there and doubt and say, is this real? Harden up. There's nothing wrong with you. I can never say that I can understand what people with mental health are going through, but I can certainly understand that you can't quantify it. It's only up to you. And, you know, I'm just fortunate that these demons that people have, that they talk about that at the moment I don't understand because I don't go through, I hopefully never will. Um, but I, at the same time, I, I actually think it's an invisible confliction, I guess, yeah. um, that you can't quantify and that until you've gone through, you probably can't. Um, no one else can talk about it, I suppose. It's one of the uh, – there's a very old song called Walk a Mile in My Shoes, and that's exactly what you need to do to understand some of the things that you've talked about today, which is re- really important, some of the stuff. Absolutely. I should write a book now that you're talking <laughs> about. Just, if I'd have played another 150 <laughs> games, it might have sold a few copies. <laughs> exactly. Good on you, Jack. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Kev. If the-